Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, presented by Curriculum Track, a brief retreat from your daily routine to explore the latest thinking and practices from faith-based educators and instructional leaders from all over. Join us as we swap innovative ideas geared towards promoting your school's mission, and we'll keep the conversation as fresh as you like your coffee. I have with me today Lynn Kafari, who's been committed to faith-based education for nearly 30 years. And when we decided to launch a podcast here for the Curriculum Track community, I decided we have to get Lynn in to talk about her heart for uh, Christian education, how she got into uh, Christian education, and uh, what she's doing now. And I ultimately, you know, for people who have worked with you, Lynn, or people who have not had a chance to work with you, I just want them to hear your heart and uh, the things that excite you about faith-based education. So welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Very nice and honored and humbled to be here. Uh, we're, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I wanted to begin with a little bit of background, uh, the early parts of your story. Um, you came to education through a journalism degree. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got drawn into education after that. Yes, I, I have and still have a passion for writing, for reporting, mostly just because I love to talk to people and hear their stories. Um, and so I worked in journalism and in public affairs, both in the private sector and also uh, after I married my husband and started moving around with him in the Air Force. And we were stationed in many places. And that's how I was able to bring uh, my work in newspapers, actually, to working in public affairs for the Air Force. And when we were stationed over in Naples, Italy, Framingham State College out of Massachusetts brought its master's degree program in education to the NATO base. At that time, we had a little one, and I knew that it would soon be time for him to go to school. And just because I am who I am, I wanted to be 100% involved in his education while still being able to pursue my career. So I was able to earn my master's while we were in Italy. And then when we were, we moved to El Paso, Texas, after that, my husband went from Air Force to federal government service, and I started to apply for schools. And I was picked up by an Episcopal school in El Paso, mostly because of my background in journalism and desktop publishing, and they needed a computer teacher. So that's how I started in education. Joey, our son at the time, was ready to go into pre-kinder. I was able to put him at that school. I'm, I've always believed that God has led me on a path to wherever my jobs are. So I was thrilled to get that position. Um, after I worked for a while in technology, I had an opportunity when we once again moved, this time to Yuma, Arizona, um, I was able to bring my experience as a computer teacher to a Catholic school there in the Diocese of Tucson. And that's the diocese is really where I have spent most of my time over the past 25 years, but not in Yuma. And okay. so um, computers, you know, I still in love, I always love technology. And of course, started out in technology when you could boot up a computer and then go make a cup of coffee and then come back and start working on the program. That's how slow things were. But I also realized it would be wonderful to um, take my passion and my energy and my expertise in writing and use technology to work with students in writing and English mm -hmm. and language arts. And so I was able to get a position in that. And then just to speed up my career after that, we moved to Tucson. I worked as a language arts teacher for several years and then earned my certification to become a, an administrator 
And up to the past two and a half years, I was the principal at St. Augustine Catholic High School in Tucson. Loved every minute of it. And that's where I was introduced or introduced myself to curriculum mapping, which is what we'll be talking about, I know, through yeah. this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So a lot to unpack there, moved around with your military husband. You were you took a, a remote learning uh, course through Framingham University to get your master's in education. It was was it remote or was it it was it was not it was it was kind of the early days of, uh -huh. of learning like that. And so professors from Framingham actually came over to Italy oh, during wow. the summer to teach us on site courses. And actually, actually they came during a Christmas break and summer break to do that. And in between we had projects to do. Okay. And so a lot of those projects involved technology, but not the technology, you know, it was to use a slide projector to create and <laughs> try to link music to it in order to create a presentation to show. But, um, but I got on my basic education courses, administrative type courses and things like that through Framingham uh, way before now, now the professors would not even have to go to Italy. Although I am sure the reason that they took those positions was to go to yeah, Italy. Right. On Who their wouldn't want to go to Italy? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a win for them, a win for you. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, but you call Arizona home for the most part now. I do call Arizona home. We ended up in Tucson at the, with the last position. Um, we have our home there, but just uh, just because my husband is who my husband is, he accepted a position in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and it was important for me to be able to go with him for that. So it's not a forever position. It's probably, well, it's already been past two years, probably <laughs> three to four years. So we have an apartment, live part-time in Virginia and maintain our home and family really at our roots in Arizona. Bounce back and forth. And now you're a grandma. You have two I grandkids. I am a grandma. Yes, those are my magnets to, uh -huh. to Tucson. I have to say, though, that um, I, am, I am also one of those who, people who say they're going to retire but never do. And last year, while we were living in Virginia, I was able to teach virtually uh, language arts to students, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade students for the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. And what a great experience it is, especially to go from administration back into teaching. You really have to kind of put your, your money where your mouth is, your heart. It's, it's all drawn back to why we do this in the first place. And that's to try to help our students be successful in no matter what situation they find themselves in. The pandemic really changed our our mindset and yet it didn't change the mission yeah yeah and i remember uh having a conversation with you during the pandemic we met virtually over coffee and uh you you mentioned curriculum mapping even at that time you said our school's not mapping this year uh because of the pandemic which makes sense but i still find that i need to map my curriculum in some way um, and so i want to unpack that with you just a little bit uh, but let's go back a little bit I, I, tell us a little bit more about what draws you to faith-based education. Um, I know in one of our conversations we've had uh, previously that you said you wanted to be be with your son, um, but but what? Why Catholic education for your son? Why faith-based education as opposed to other alternatives? Yeah, it's it's interesting that I've come to that because I was a product of public school education. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I remember my parents, we've had this discussion many times, but we were living in a rural community 
when they had to choose between the Catholic school and the public school. And at the time, the public schools offered more more opportunities for education. The, the, the textbooks and the strategies were newer. That's changed over time. And our faith-based schools have totally caught up academically. But being able, you know, when it was time for our son to go to school, knowing how important our faith is to our family and to, you know, the community that we're in and being able to recognize that the academics and the faith were, were a beautiful balance in this school, that drew me to faith-based education for our son. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, as an administrator, to have the opportunity to work with students and be able to integrate our faith teaching into the academics, I mean, it's a win-win situation. It provides, I mean, at a practical level, a lot of people, including myself, were drawn to faith-based education because of parent involvement, community mm -hmm. involvement, safe environment. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I pretty much knew that it, it would be a safer environment, not that you're safe all the time, everywhere, but there's a mm -hmm. commitment to that. And so I really have, um, you know, the, it, if you look at our faith-based schools now, sometimes you have smaller class sizes, you have a little bit more one-on-one -on -one instruction with the students, things like that. You have mass every week or, or a service every week. You have the opportunity, especially in our Catholic schools, for our students to receive the sacraments while they're in school. And whether they understand how fortunate they are <laughs> to have that foundation while they're in it, I have over and over and over heard students talk, especially when I was in the high school, you know, just out of the blue, they'll, they'll say they don't want to go to mass, but then they'll stop you in the hall and say, would you mind saying a prayer for my uncle who's sick? Mm -hmm. Or, um, it just becomes part of their lives. And, and that continues to drive me as I, as I work in education. Yeah. I do, yeah. you know, we have some limitations, Michael, we have some limitations with resources and programs. But I think that um, as our communities become more diverse, our schools are becoming more service oriented in those mm -hmm. directions as well. Well, and that that idea of community, I think, captures it says a lot because, you know, even as a parent now, my kids are younger um, and I try to be very mindful of what they're doing uh, when they're on their tablets, when they're on their computers. But their teachers are sending them out to the Internet now, even in second and third grade. And I just have to trust that the teachers are making the right choices as far as what they're introducing my kids to. And you want to know your teachers. You want to know their values. You want to know what to expect from them when you just can't. It's impossible to stay on top of everything as right. a parent. <laughs> I have a, a story that just came to my mind when I was first teaching computer and there were no filters on the computers. And the <laughs> students looked something up and all of a sudden a movie star came up very scantily clad and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> and that's because that, you know, that expectation of being part of this faith-based community, you know, we have high right. expectations here. So you got into administration, uh, I think somewhere around 2006 at Immaculate Heart. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And what, and what again, pulled you into administration? That was God driven. I, um, I 
had gotten, I think because of all my writing background, had gotten very involved in a couple of accreditation processes that our schools were going in. And before I knew it, I was chair of the accreditation team. <laughs> and before you know it, instead of just editing documents, you start having opinions and you yeah. start um, you start understanding the bigger picture of education. And I, I believe and I think I thank those people who tapped me on the back and said, I think you should go in and get your um, certification on top of your master's in administration. And I did that, not necessarily thinking that would happen right away, but before the end of the school year, the principal <laughs> left and the sister in charge, Sister Evelyn, you don't say no to Sister Evelyn. She said, Lynn, I think you should be the principal. I have never really applied for any of my jobs. I, that's why I do believe the Holy Spirit has taken me from beginning to even now. Um, and so I was able to become the principal of the school that I loved so much where I had taught for five years and um, was principal there. And then honestly, one day, the day after an Easter break, five years later, the bishop called me. I was, I was driving home and the bishop of the diocese called and said, we want to talk to you. We, would, we really would like you to come to the high school and the high school at the time was having some problems and and he called me and another colleague of mine to become the president principal of our high school and within a week both of us had committed to that and for the next eight years I just felt like it was one long day but we were <laughs> able to we were able to turn around St. Augustine High School almost double the population um really focus our attention on the demographics that we were serving. And it is probably one of the greatest um, enriching accomplishments of my whole life as being able to work at that school. I still maintain contact with them. And you brought uh, curriculum mapping to St. Augustine, right? Did you, yes, were you I did. We're doing curriculum mapping at Immaculate Heart or as part of the accreditation process, or that was not part of the no, process at that time? Not at all. But at St. Augustine, I had a, a teacher who was actually going through her master's program through the Remick Leadership Program at the University of Notre Dame. And one of her projects, I had to, I love when people go through their master's programs because they have to do projects and I'm getting all this great, you know, these resources and ideas. But one of her ideas was that we needed to start documenting how we were aligning our curriculum to standards and bless her heart, she started and created some Google um, databases for us. And so the notion of mapping, we didn't even call it necessarily mapping, but articulating curriculum a little bit. We had, we had generally started that at St. Augustine, but then when we went through our accreditation process, that became one of our goals. And I, I needed to find something that would, um, that the teachers could embrace mm -hmm. and where I could teach them how to do this, something that was intuitive, something that they wouldn't feel extremely overburdened doing. And I'm not sure anytime you bring something new in, it's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, but it's always but, a disruption. Right. Right. And I looked and looked for a little while. I'm just thinking, what is better? What would be better out there than really the Google Forms that are the databases that we had already created? Not that they were very well populated, but at least I had a semi-structure. But that's when um, when I sent uh, one of my teachers went to a conference for the National Catholic Education Association, 
And she brought back literally a little postcard size flyer about curriculum track. And I looked at it and I thought, this looks interesting. It looks intriguing. And I, and I called and honestly, we had a demo of the product. It made perfect sense to us. And again, it wasn't, I have never been one of those principals who gets excited about a vendor software program, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had already been using fax Renweb. It was called at the time. I didn't want to get something that would be counter to what we had already started in our, in our management system. I wanted, we were already using that to do lesson planning and put our grades in. When I saw that curriculum track worked with Renweb and now fax, um, and syncs with it, I thought, well, maybe this, this is good because we can go beyond lesson planning into that bigger picture of unit planning. And so it is a process, but I was really excited when I was able to bring that in. So, and that's, I think when you and I first had our first introduction, I was trying to support you in my early days with curriculum track and you were so kind and generous to, you know, ask your question, maybe two or three different ways before I figured out what you're trying to do or whatever. But anyway, so we've worked together for quite a while. Uh, if, if you could tell administrators who are engaged in mapping or considering a mapping initiative, um, if you could tell them anything, what would it be? What advice would you give? You know, um, I would just say that as teachers and as administrators, we are working all the time to try to sort of organize our lives, but also to be accountable to those who we teach. You know, ultimately, we're working toward the success of our students. But if we do have a set of standards in our country, our states, our diocese, our whatever organization our schools belong to, I work very hard to put some curriculum standards in place. And these standards are really a foundation. They're a jumping off spot. But when you ask a teacher, okay, show me the standard that you're teaching. If I walk in your classroom, am I gonna be able to truly see that by the time the students leave your class, they have mastered these standards? Is my only checkpoint the standardized test I give at the end of the year where I see those gaps and I see those overlaps and I see where we're lacking in something? Is there something along the way that, that can help us be accountable? And so how, how I struggle to help teachers and even myself make sense out of those binders of standards that we were supposed to be accountable to. Mm. And so by having the standards front and center in a program like Curriculum Track, that when I am starting to say, okay, my first unit, I taught EP literature for a while. So one of my units is on, on satire. Okay, if I'm teaching a unit on satire, to high school seniors, how does this unit of satire fit into the standards I'm supposed to teach? So I can say I'm doing satire. These are standards that I have to pinpoint within that unit. Now, okay, if I want to create some objectives for that standard or my instructional strategies or the books that I'm gonna use or the tests that I'm gonna give or the papers I'm gonna have them write, I need to know that everything I'm asking those students to do are going to tie back into what they're supposed to learn. And so a program like Curriculum Track allows you to list your unit, have the standards right there in front of me, a place where I can write my objectives. Maybe, maybe, maybe satire doesn't fit into that senior level 
-hmm. English class. Maybe instead of satire, I need to be talking about, I don't know, existentialism or something like that, you know? Um, And then also, you know, to bring bring it back to our faith formation, Mm -hmm. to be able to have a program or, you know, a software that actually recognizes the fact that I need to bring in, why would God want me to learn this? You know, how does this fit into my bigger picture of me as a person, as a student? And so to, to have that, that is why I was able to bring it in. The, the difficulty for teachers, the difficulty for me was to have them embrace the bigger picture of unit planning versus day-to-day lesson planning. Mm. I think we get caught up in having to just, I always ask my teachers, I want to see your lesson plans on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. They were pretty good about doing that. But, um, they, you know, we still weren't able to tie those lessons to the standards. So we had to yeah. step back a little bit and look at the bigger picture of unit planning. Yeah. Daily lesson planning can be so swampy at times, right? Like just oh, yeah. bogged down in the day-to-day you know, routines that it, it is helpful to sometimes back up and get, you know, the bigger picture. Where am I going? What am I trying to accomplish? Um, and you mentioned your teachers and some of the struggles that they had. You get a chance to work with a lot of teachers now. We, we have you helping schools uh, with their training. What, what piece of advice, and, and let me back up just a little bit more. So your school kind of adopted curriculum mapping as an initiative related to accreditation. A lot of schools do. It's easy for teachers to feel like, okay, this is just a project I have to do for accreditation. What advice would you give to teachers as they're launching into curriculum mapping for the first time, or maybe they've been, been engaged in it for a while? What would, you, what would you tell them as far as you know, what to look for or how to make it more personable yeah. and beneficial to them? And I've learned this from experience. I think I've often said that I would like to go back and reintroduce this at the school. But I believe now, and when I, when I work with teachers and other schools now, I tell them that curriculum mapping is not necessarily an extra task for you to do. It really is going to become the hub where you can put all of what you're supposed to be doing anyway into one place. So obviously, you do your planning. You have a filing cabinet already somewhere in your classroom with folders in it. And each folder has units and it has your resources and it has, um, you know, some of the, whatever you've pulled in to use. Mm-hmm. You're going to now be able to take that information out of the folder necessarily and put it into one place within this glorified database, really. In addition, you already have to do your lesson planning. So why not try to have a tool that makes you more efficient at what you have to do anyway, and will also help you be able to describe and articulate what you do. It, it will make you feel more organized in what you do. I also like to say, because teachers will say, well, last year you sent us to a differentiated instruction conference and you're making us do that. And the year before, you wanted us to do something on intervention. And this year, you're trying to introduce curriculum mapping. And that's where I say, oh, but your mapping is where you're also going to be able to put those strategies that you learned for intervention and differentiation and classroom management and faith formation 
and your, um, you know, student outcomes, everything is going to be in one place. It's sort of like cleaning your closet, um, helping you feel organized in, in the tasks that you're supposed to do anyway. And it will also help you become a bit more, I know we like to say, uh, fine tune, hone your skills, fine tune your craft as a teacher. We can't sit back and just on our laurels of education. We're asking mm -hmm. our teacher, our students to continue to grow. We need to do the same. Yeah. Or hope that it, that we're doing enough. And I think that's often a trap that teachers fall into. I have to do more. I have to do more. I have to do more because at the end of the day, I hope I've done enough. Whereas mapping can sometimes help us set our priorities, help us determine you know, what needs to be done so that we have some freedom to breathe and to exercise some right. flexibility when it, when it's needed for our current group of students. Um, and so right. I think that's an important part uh, to consider. Well, as well, the first year, years of mapping are kind of messy. You know, yeah. it's, oh, yeah. it, I always go back to in the creative process, there has to be some chaos before mm -hmm. there's order. Yeah. But when a, when a, teacher or an administrator steps back after a year of real intentional mapping, they're going to be so amazed at what they've done. And then mm -hmm. they continue to go back and refine and edit and tweak, which is what we're supposed to do anyway. From year to year, you have different dynamics within your classroom and you need to go back and take what you've already got, what you're doing well, and change that and modify it and adjust it for the students that you have currently. And that's something I wanted to ask you about too, because of your work with St. Augustine, because you've worked with a lot of other schools now and had a chance to work with uh, several schools within the curriculum track community and then outside of the, the community as well in your other work. But what would you say is one of the aha moments or the unintended consequences perhaps or benefits of curriculum mapping. So you said at St. Augustine, it was about standards alignment. You needed to align to standards, but what other benefit did you get there? Or have you seen other schools glean from yeah. a, a mapping process? At the same time that we were kind of focusing on mapping, we had also had an opportunity. I had an opportunity to look at some of our ACT test scores. Okay. When I started to really dig through those standards, and honestly, it took I never liked standardized tests, but they do give you a snapshot of some of the areas in your school where you need to focus. And so we focused in, we realized that our students, and many of them are language learners. The school I worked at, 70% of the students um, were Hispanic, not necessarily, you know, native Spanish speakers, but were growing up in, in Hispanic households, which is wonderful. But we realized that nonfiction text was really difficult for them, not just in an English class where you're trying to make someone who's never spoken English read Beowulf. That's a very difficult process, by the way. But, but we realized that also you need to have those language skills to read your history textbook, to read science, to deal with math problems, word problems. And so we had some school-wide initiatives. And so I was able to say, okay, within your maps, and we got a little, you know, we, we made a little progress in this. In your maps, I want to see how are you focusing on nonfiction text within some of your unit objectives. So to answer your question, one of the benefits of a school that's already got some of this in place 
is that teachers can start collaborating across the curriculum or vertically in the curriculum. Where are we seeing where we can build on what somebody's done in the prior year or where can we share and collaborate across the curriculum with some of these school-wide initiatives we have? That can be differentiation. It can be, we, we worked on tier one modifications, tier two modifications, things like that, that you could do in your classroom. Where can I see that in your mapping progress? And so once you've got this structure in place, you've opened up a whole new opportunity for teachers to collaborate with each other. Mm. And also when it comes to one other little thing, we have an open house at the beginning of the school year and teachers put up on their smart boards or their Promethean boards. This is kind of an outline of what we're going to do this year. They already have that in place if they've mm. mapped it out and they can feel confident and what they're saying, it's not just, oh, if we get to this or um, mm -hmm. this is our plan. This is what we're going to do for your students this year. Well, yeah, both of those things, communicating with the stakeholders, the family goes back to the idea of, you know, what a lot of families are looking for in faith-based education. They want to be involved. They want to know. They want to trust what the school is doing. But, you know, one of the, one of the challenges that a lot of faith-based schools have is that they're small, right? There's maybe one teacher per grade. Right. Uh, we don't have, and, and that's, that's, that's a blessing and a curse because we have small class sizes so we can, we can uh, help our students more individually, but it also limits our opportunities to collaborate internally. And so mapping, supporting, and driving your collaboration efforts, I think is, is an excellent, you know, benefit from, from the process. Right. So it does take time. You need to build that time into your mm -hmm. school year. If you have a faculty meeting every week, well, maybe once a month, that faculty meeting should be devoted to mapping or letting teachers sit and talk with each other about their process and their progress. Set little goals that continue the process. Um, it, it is an ongoing process, as it should be, as mm -hmm. everything we do should be. Yeah. <laughs> So you've had the chance to work with, as I said, a lot of schools within the curriculum track community. I'm going to put you on the spot as though I haven't already done that a few times throughout <laughs> our conversation today. Um, but as you've had a chance to work with schools, what would you say would be, you know, one of their aha moments or a story that you've, you've picked up along the way that you're like, see, this is why we do this. Um, I, I've had a chance to do some evaluation of maps. And I'm just going to talk about one school where I did, I won't mention their name right now, but I was able to evaluate their maps this summer. And I think when they submitted them, they thought that they were on their way and they were on their way, but they weren't maps that were completely developed. And very kindly and gently, I hope, I made some suggestions to them about how to move their maps from kind of a generic map to something that would specifically relate to that course and to the school. So even I, if I were not a teacher at the school, I could look at the map, I could walk into the classroom, and I could actually even stumble along and teach that class mm -hmm. if it were something. I would be able to get a big picture of what was supposed to happen. And they actually reached out to us. I believe they reached out to you, Michael. And then you reached out to me and said, could we do some more training on this? I have now worked with that school. And I, the other day they, they looked at me and they went, oh my gosh, look at what we 
can do yeah. just by taking what we've articulated. You know, we've we've got our unit titles out here, but they had this light bulb moment that every teacher looks for yeah. when you're teaching and they're, oh my gosh, all we have to do is add some specific. We've got the resources. And now look at what we can do when we sit down and talk with each other. So when a school and, and they wrote to me and said that even some of the teachers who didn't embrace this first said, now this makes sense to us. That's now awesome. this makes sense. And when I see a school wrap their heads around the whole idea of why we map and how it ties back to the mission of our school and what we want to leave our thumbprint on, it, it, that's the aha moment. Mm -hmm. And I can also say from a personal standpoint, when I brought it to my school, I was teaching. I also taught a, a literature class only because that's what happens in some of our schools is where the principal has to teach too. And I used curriculum track to create a map. And even after I've left the school, now I use my map in some of my demonstrations, I've gone back. And I've changed it and I've edited it just so that I can show some of the best practices to schools. So the aha moment is it, it evolves. It, it makes you realize that, yes, I can continue to learn and become better at what I do. And for me, as I help other schools and teachers get to that point, that's my greatest reward mm -hmm. um, in, in doing this. That is why... Even when I left my school, Michael, why I reached out and said, if there's anything I can do to help promote, I love your software program, not necessarily promote your software, but <laughs> to promote why people should use this and how this can help them become better. I, I was just really thrilled when I got a call back from all of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'd be glad to have you uh, help us in a variety of ways. Um, and maybe that's kind of how we'll end things here, Lynn. Tell us what you're doing now. You're not you're not in the classroom. You're not in administration. You work some with curriculum track, but what other things do you have going on to keep your hands in education? I have been um, blessed to be part of two different programs through the University of Notre Dame. So I work each year for the past couple of years, and I believe this will continue with um, teachers and administrators from around the country. We're all assigned a cohort who are experiencing a lot of diversity in their schools as time goes on. And this, this is something relatively new in our Catholic schools and our faith-based schools is that the communities we serve are changing. So I work for the Latino Enrollment Institute. And so we work on all different levels. I meet once a month with my cohort. We meet a couple times a year, either at Notre Dame or during a retreat. And we talk about how do we serve the diverse communities in our schools? How do we support them academically? How do we make them realize that financially, if they want to come to one of our Catholic schools, we're going to figure out a way to do it through scholarships, through tax credits, through state vouchers. We're going to do this to help them feel welcome and embraced in our schools, which I just love because that is the mission. That's, that's where our Catholic school started in the first place to deal with the, the immigrant communities. Um, I also work through the University of Notre Dame in their REMIC leadership program. So I am an executive coach, they call it. I'm really just a mentor and a sounding board and a mom to, to five teachers who are working on their master's in order to earn their certification to become principals. So I love the ability to stay involved in Catholic education, 
um, on a part-time basis and to work with teachers in curriculum track. It's been nice working with curriculum track because we're working with schools that are, are Catholic, but also other faith-based schools. Mm-hmm. For me to get out of my own little Catholic school bubble has mm-hmm. been, has been very um, uh, enriching as well. So other than that, I'm just having fun traveling back and forth between Washington, D.C. and Virginia, baking cookies and making pasta with my grandchildren and uh, and doing whatever comes up during the day. <laughs> yeah, going back to Italy every once in a while. I know you. Oh, yes, you, I'm you doing that. Yep. Yes. <laughs> well, Lynn, I feel like the Curriculum Track community has definitely benefited from having you be a part of it. So thank you uh, for sharing your expertise and your love of, of faith-based education and your your joy with us and thanks for joining us today in the the teacher's lounge thank you very much thank Thank you. you thanks for dropping by the curriculum track teachers lounge today we hope this conversation helped you feel more connected to like-minded educators and provided you with a thought an idea or even just a smile as you seek to do all that you can for all of your students if you found this conversation to be helpful do us a favor and rate this podcast also be sure to share it with others we would be grateful to hear from you with any ideas questions or thoughts that you may have you can find ways to connect with us at curriculumtrack.com